Have you ever noticed how everybody always seems to be trying to save Christmas? Have you ever noticed that? In every movie, in every TV show you ever see about the Christmas holiday, it's like there are children or there are animals, there are elves. Somebody is trying to save Christmas. It's a part of almost every Christmas story you've ever heard or seen. And if you haven't noticed it before, pay attention this year, and I promise you'll see it everywhere. Now, I'm gonna go the exact opposite direction this morning. I'm actually gonna try to ruin the Christmas spirit for you a little bit if I could. If you'll indulge me for just a minute, I'm gonna try to ruin the Christmas spirit. Now, to be clear, all the parents in the room can unclench a little bit, okay? You have my promise that I'm not gonna spoil Christmas or any Christmas surprises for young ears, okay? That is my promise to you this morning. Tell you what, you don't spoil Rogue One for me, and I won't spoil anything for your children, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll go with that deal this morning. I want to I wanna just look at some of the traditions, some of the things that we take for granted about the holiday season that we just assume are right or true, and it turns out when you do just a little bit of digging, they're not so much. Perhaps you know, perhaps you don't, that Jesus was almost certainly not born on December 25th. Did you know that? We're not totally sure what day of the year he was born on. The Bible never tells us. There are some biblical scholars, there are some historians, and they've tried to figure it out. Some said Jesus was born in the fall of the year. Others said, no, it wasn't the fall, it was the spring. And still others said it was summertime, and still others said it's winter, which pretty much covers all the bases. That proves that we have no clue what time of the year Jesus was born. And so we celebrate on December 25th, but that's not actually Jesus' birthday. In fact, it wasn't until about the fourth century that Christians started celebrating Christmas on the 25th. And the reason that we started celebrating on that particular day is because in in ancient Rome, as people were converting to Christianity from their pagan or their Roman religions, what the emperor, what the leaders in the church found out was that they were still celebrating all of their pagan festivals along with the Christians. They got double the party time. And so uh, some of the church leadership started thinking, hey, maybe we should just take our holidays, put them right on top of the same date as their holidays, and then they'll celebrate Christian ones. And so that's how we got Christmas on December 25th. Sorry to spoil it. Sorry to ruin it for you, but that's why we celebrate that day out of the year. I've seen a bunch of people posting on Facebook and Instagram and things like that, pictures and video of carolers already. Isn't Christmas caroling such a nice part of the season? You go to the mall, you have this group of people standing around, they're hitting these tight harmonies as they sing these lovely Christmas songs that some of you hate so much. I mean, a lot of us really, really enjoy Christmas caroling. But when you study Christmas caroling, what you find out is that its roots are found in a practice called wassailing. I don't know if you've ever heard that word. There's a Christmas carol that uh, uses the word wassailing in it. And what used to happen about 600 years ago is that these groups of men would go up and down the street and they wouldn't knock on your door and you open and they start singing, we wish you a Merry Christmas. No, 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 no. They actually just walked right into your house. They would walk into your kitchen and begin singing like eight, 10, 15 of these rowdy men. And they wouldn't leave until you gave them food and drink. That's why uh, in the song, we wish you a Merry Christmas. You remember that? There's a line that says, now bring us some figgy pudding. 
We won't leave until we get some, so bring it right here. Now, you can imagine if you got angry with these guys and you're like, you just barged into my house. There's no way I'm going to give you any food or drink. They would get a little upset. Sometimes there was a little bit of vandalism involved if you didn't play nice. So Christmas caroling is beautiful. It's wonderful, but its roots, eh, maybe not so much. This next one, I got to be a little careful with, so bear with me. Did you know that it wasn't until the 1930s that somebody discovered the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? It was 1930-something before somebody ever realized how important this reindeer was on Santa's sleigh. And even stranger than that, the guy who discovered it was an advertiser for a department store called Montgomery Wards. And so he included the story of Rudolph. I mean, he was so excited to learn this very special story. He included it in their December catalog for that year. Isn't that weird that nobody had heard that story before? Hey, if none of those are enough to ruin the Christmas spirit for you, I've got one more thought that might do it, okay? Christmas is the only time of the year where it is perfectly acceptable to sit around a dead tree and eat candy out of old socks. It's the only time of the year that we do anything like that. If we're going to be honest, Christmas can be a little bit weird. There are all these traditions. There are all these things that we do and we don't often give it a second thought. It's just been passed on to us through the generations. And so we just assume, oh, okay, this is what we do. Now, those things are not wrong. They're not bad. I hope that you have lots of Christmas cheer and you celebrate and sing carols and have a beautiful Christmas tree and all of that. I really, really do. But Christmas, it can be a bit strange. Now that I've tried to ruin the Christmas spirit a little bit, let me do my best to help you save the Christmas spirit in your house. We've been talking for the last few weeks about how we can recapture Christmas. We want you to experience joy. We want you to experience happiness. We want you to experience freedom. We want you to experience meaning and purpose in the holiday season. And we've talked over the last few weeks about how unfortunate it is that for most of us, Christmas is a time of stress. It's a time of anxiety. It's a time of unmet expectations. But we've told you over the last few weeks that we don't think it has to be that way. We genuinely do believe Christmas can be the greatest time of the year for you and for me. Now, in order to recapture Christmas here, this is our final week that we're going to be talking about this together on Sunday mornings. And in order to recapture Christmas, I want to go to a very well-known story in the Bible. We're going to hear from some characters that you guys have all read about before. You know a little bit about them, even if you can't tell their whole story. We actually sang about them in one of our songs. And what I find very interesting about these guys, to be quite frank, is that they are a lot like these other Christmas traditions that we've talked about so far this morning. Most of what we think we know about them actually isn't true, or at least it's not spelled out in the Bible. But there is one thing, there's one thing that the Bible tells us about these particular guys. And I think if we can grab a hold of it, it has the power to help us recapture the magic of Christmas. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter number two this morning. The scripture says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the region of Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn King of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. We're gonna read the rest of their story, but I wanna pause for just a moment here. Uh, Do you know who we're talking about already in this story? 
the three wise men or the three kings, the three magi. You've heard those names. You've heard those descriptions throughout your time hearing the Christmas story. They always show up in the nativity scenes. They're always bringing gifts. They're the ones who brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. We'll find out here in just a sec. But there's a lot that we think is true about this uh, group of wise men that when you read the passage, isn't really spelled out for us. For example, it said there in verse number one, about that time, some wise men came from Eastern lands and arrived in Jerusalem. We always talk about it in terms of three, right? There are always three kings. In every manger scene, there's always like a white guy, a black guy, a vaguely Asian guy. You know, we're trying to be inclusive here. Um, And so there are always three kings. The reason that we call them three kings or we talk about them in terms of threes is because they give three gifts. We don't know how many of them there were. It says they, it's a plural form. So there were at least two, might've been eight, 10, 15, who even knows, but it wasn't exactly three. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Then it says there were some wise men who arrived from Eastern lands in Jerusalem. That word wise men, it's translated differently in different versions of the Bible. Some call them kings, some call them wise men, some call them magi. That word magi is the correct word for who these guys were. And so if you're unfamiliar with magi, if you don't know any magi in your life, uh, I'll, I'll tell you real quickly who they are. They were a group of religious scholars from Persia, ancient Iran. And so they were astrologers, essentially, you know, like you read your horoscope, I'm a Sagittarius, that sort of thing. These were the guys who invented all of that. And they believed that as you watched the stars in the sky, you could learn about the future. You could learn about the fate of mankind. It was a very, very important thing to them. They were not Jewish. They were not Christians. They were from a whole different section of the Middle East. And so these magi came, because they saw a star and that's what they did for a living. They watched the stars. And so when a strange star appeared to them, and by the way, it probably wasn't a star. We don't know for sure. Our best guess is that it could have been like a comet or an asteroid. God could have just made a star appear and done it that way. I don't know. But they saw something in the sky and it was so unfamiliar. It was so out of place to them that they thought we've got to follow that. We've got to go check it out. And so these magi, they're not kings. They weren't just wise men. They were actually priests and leaders from a totally different religion. Scripture says these wise men, these magi come, and when they get to Jerusalem, they start asking around, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. That word newborn here in in the New Living Translation, again, it's another one that's translated a bit differently in different copies or different versions of the scripture. In the Greek, the original word is a little more generic. So it wasn't like it was a baby or a newborn the way we typically think of it. We said that you usually see these scenes, these nativity scenes, and there are animals, Mary and Joseph, some shepherds, an angel, a star, and then three wise men. But what you find out as you study this story a little bit deeper is that the wise men, these magi, they probably didn't show up the night of Jesus' birth. The shepherds did, but from our best studying, our best guess, these wise men didn't show up until maybe as much as two years later. So Jesus might've been one years old or a year and a half, maybe even two years before the wise men were able to follow the star from ancient Iran and get to Bethlehem. Now, I've never had kids myself, just to be clear. 
But I'm guessing that was probably better for Mary because the typical scene is Mary gives birth in a stable. There are animals, there are rando shepherds that show up. And then these three foreigners come walking through the door like, hey, we wanna worship the baby. I, again, I've never had kids myself, but I'm guessing that Mary would have rather them come a year, year and a half, two years later, even if they were bringing gifts, right? No mom wants to see a bunch of people show up at her bedside the moment that she gives birth. All right, so here we go. We've got these three guys. Uh, see, I just did it. We've got these magi who show up and the scripture says they saw a star and they've come to worship Jesus, who is king of the Jews. Now, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard all of this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, why would King Herod be disturbed? Because they showed up and said, there's a baby who's king of the Jews. So the current king is like, wait, whoa, 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 a new king? Let's talk about this. He was greatly disturbed, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. And he asked, where is the Messiah? That word Messiah, it it, it means God's chosen one, God's uh, representative. It's the same word that's translated into a different language as Christ. Those two words mean the same thing. Uh, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So they quote a, uh, a prophecy from the Old Testament that says the Messiah should be born in Bethlehem. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Every time I picture this in my mind, this is always like a cartoon, you know, and the evil guy, the bad guy in the story is like doing this with his fingers. And that's exactly what Herod's doing here. He's like, Why don't you, when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can worship him. Yeah, let's do that. All right. So obviously he's not going to worship Jesus. Okay. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then the scripture tells us in verse number 12, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. As I mentioned, these guys are pretty well known in Christmas stories and in nativity scenes, but it turns out that a whole bunch of what we know about these guys simply isn't spelled out. That doesn't mean it's wrong, but the scripture just doesn't tell us all the details that we like to associate. Like if you go on Google and you search out some more information about these guys, like throughout history, people have given them names and backstories. Like these are fully fleshed out characters in some people's minds. And in the scripture, they're really not that way. There is a whole lot of detail about these three magi that the Bible never tells us. But it gives us one interesting fact, one thing in there that we can know for sure about these men. And again, I believe it's so important. It really does have the power to help us recapture Christmas. The one thing the scripture does tell us about this is that these three men were the first converts to Christianity from another religion. 
That's the one thing we know about this. They were followers of a religion called Zoroastrianism. They came because their scriptures, because what they saw in the stars led them to Jesus. And yet when they got there, they saw something. They recognized something that caused them to worship the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus who is Lord. Now, we don't know a whole lot. We don't, in fact, we don't know anything about these guys afterwards. So I don't wanna to make too big a deal out of this. I'm not gonna tell you that they went on to become great church leaders and all that stuff. Who knows, all right? We don't know anything about that, except they were followers of some other ancient belief system. And then when they came and they saw the birth of Jesus, they were transformed. They gave their worship, their allegiance to this baby. Isn't that fascinating? It is to me. It is so interesting to think that from the very beginning, the birth of Jesus has brought people to Jesus. That this story is so powerful. It is so compelling that it can actually rewrite our story in light of its events. From the very beginning, the birth of Jesus has brought people to Jesus. And I think that we need to remember that, that this time of the year is actually the best time we will have throughout all 12 months as followers of Jesus to point the world around us to Jesus. This is the best time of the year to point the world around us to Jesus. Think about it like this. 93% of Canadians celebrate Christmas in some form or variety, 93%. Now, only about 15% of Canadians go to church, go to a Christian church on a regular basis. So there are a huge number. In fact, the vast majority of all of your classmates, the vast majority of all of your neighbors and coworkers and family members are not followers of Jesus, and yet they are going to participate in the holiday celebrating the birth of the Messiah. Hey, can you imagine your family, maybe, I'm just going to assume here for a sec, your family is not the least bit Hindu, not the least bit Hindu and yet you celebrated Diwali. Wouldn't that be strange? You're like, no, we're not Hindu, but we love Diwali. You'd be like, what? That's strange. Your family is not the least bit Jewish, but you celebrate Purim together. People looking at you would be like, why? You're not even Jewish. It doesn't make sense. And yet, for millions of people around our country, for nearly everybody on your block, in your classroom, and at your office, these people who are not religious people are going to celebrate the religious holiday in which Jesus, God's Messiah and Christ was born. Now, as followers of Jesus, we've got a couple of responses here. We can get a little mad about that, you know? We can say, whoa, 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 that's our holiday. You can't have that, that's ours. We can get angry. We can try to demand that people stop all the consumerism and stop all the family. It's not about that. It's about Jesus and Jesus only. We can fight that war if we want to. But what's really interesting is that when Christians take that approach, and there are lots of them that have done it throughout the years, when we take that approach, where we look around at you know, the millions of people who are celebrating Christmas, but who are not followers of Jesus, and we say, ah, hypocrites, you guys don't even get it. We get it, you don't get it. When we have that sort of attitude, the world, ironically enough, looks at us 
as if we have no Christmas spirit. They look at us as if we're the Grinch, as if we're the ones who are trying to ruin Christmas for everybody else. So it's not, in a very, it's not a very effective tactic. If you wanna point people to Jesus this year, then you can fight and moan and complain about the state of our world spiritually, or you can see 26 or 28 million Canadians celebrating a holiday, but not actually understanding what it means and why it's so important. You can see that as an opportunity, the best opportunity you will have all year to point people towards Jesus. At this season, people are more open to hearing about Christ than they are at any other time of the year. You roll up to somebody in May, in June, you say, hey, let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. They're like, sorry, going on vacation. But you do that in Christmas time. And they're like, yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, Christmas is great. It's wonderful. I love it. But I have all this stress. And sometimes the holiday feels a little bit superficial. I know there should be more to it, but I'm just not sure what that is. And we have the opportunity gently and graciously to say to these folks, let me tell you what I've discovered about Christmas. Let me show you what I've found that has made all the difference in making this my favorite time of the year. This is the best time to point the people around you towards Jesus. So how do you do that? How do you take this this holiday celebration and make it a holy day celebration? How do you point those around you towards the Jesus whom we should be celebrating at this time of the year? I think it takes some intentionality. It's not hard, but I think it takes some intentionality. I think you should do your best to make this a spiritual holiday, not just a social holiday. I think you should work hard to make this a spiritual holiday and not just a social holiday. Now, it can still be a social holiday. You should still have parties. You should still celebrate. This is the best story that's ever been told. But you should include a spiritual component in your worship, in your celebration this coming year. Now, I'm going to give you some examples on how to do that, how to make this a reality. But before I do that, let me tell you how not to do it, okay? Let me tell you how not to make this a spiritual holiday, not just a social holiday. You're standing in line at Tim's. You get your order. The cashier says very cheerfully, happy holidays. And you say, I think you mean Merry Christmas. Don't do that, okay? That's a bad idea. You're not gonna see much return on that if you go with that attitude. Yes, I hope that people will say Merry Christmas. I wanna keep Christ as kind of the center of all of our Christmas celebrations. It just makes sense. But I'm not gonna fight with some poor 18-year-old cashier because her boss told her she had to say Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas. What is that going to accomplish? Let me give you another bad idea. Your whole family comes over. You guys are sitting around the table, you know, all the food is ready. And you say, hey, I wanna just have a word of prayer before we eat. And they're like, okay, let's do that. Then you launch into a seven and a half minute prayer in which you beg God to reveal to your heathen family the truth about Christmas. That's a bad idea. Don't do that. That's gonna backfire. In fact, that'll probably draw attention away from what you're trying to accomplish, from Jesus, the gentle Messiah who came as a baby and instead put it right square on your shoulders. It's a bad idea. Don't do it that way. Uh, Here's another bad way. Don't sit your kids down 
and say to him, all right, guys, you know, we've been going to church and Pastor Dan's been telling us we should make this a spiritual holiday, not just fun social time. And so here's what we've decided. We're gonna make our Christmas, our family time more about Jesus. So we asked Santa not to bring you any presents this year, okay? We're, we're not gonna do that. Mommy, daddy, you're gonna get your presents, but we asked Santa to just skip over our house because we wanna make this holiday all about Jesus. Can I beg you, please don't make Jesus the villain in your kids' Christmas memories. If you do that, they're gonna have terrible ideas and memories about God and Jesus. He's gonna be the one who ruined their Christmas when they were eight years old. Don't do that. There are better ways in which to make a spiritual component or to have a spiritual component of your Christmas celebrations. Those are bad ways. Don't do any of those. If you do any of those, don't blame it on me because I told you not to do them that way. All right, what should you do? How can you make your Christmas celebrations something spiritual, not just social? I think it's pretty simple. I think you should take a subtle and sincere step towards sharing a spiritual moment with the people around you. That's what you, you should focus on doing this year. Take a subtle and sincere step towards sharing a spiritual moment with your loved ones, uh, if you're comfortable and the opportunity presents itself with your classmates, with your uh, coworkers, whatever the case may be, take a subtle and sincere step towards sharing a spiritual moment with the people who are around you. Now, notice I said it's a subtle moment, okay? Subtle. You need to keep in mind where you are in your relationships with these people. So if you invite your whole family over and you guys have never had any spiritual component to your Christmas celebrations, don't go full religious right off the bat. That's going to scare them away. That's going to backfire. It's not going to accomplish much. Don't go crazy. It needs to be subtle, if you've never had a conversation with that guy in your econ class about faith or Jesus, then don't go to him and recommend, hey, maybe we should read the Christmas story together at lunch today. Don't do that. He's gonna think you're a nut. He's not gonna pay any attention to you and you're gonna lose an opportunity to take a step that might actually help somebody experience something spiritual this Christmas. It needs to be a subtle step. I told you earlier, it seems like everybody's always trying to save Christmas, you know? God never asked you to save Christmas. He didn't. It's not all riding on your shoulders, okay? You don't have to feel that weight. Instead, identify one subtle step that you can take with someone else in your life so that you guys can share a spiritual moment during the season when people are actually quite open to sharing spiritual moments. It needs to be subtle. It also needs to be sincere, you need to take a sincere step, something that's heartfelt, something that's real, something that's meaningful. In a moment, I'm gonna give you some ideas and I don't want you to hear these ideas as a list of things that you should do. All right, Pastor Dan said, I need to do this, then I need to do that. No, 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 I'm giving you some examples. I actually want you to think through your relationships and the opportunities that are in your life and perhaps you will have the chance to have that spiritual moment with somebody. But if you just take a list that I gave you or somebody else gave you, then it's probably not going to accomplish very much because it's not sincere. It's not something that you were listening to God and he gave you this chance. And so you step forward in faith and with a little bit of courage and you actually did something for God's kingdom. If I just give you a list and you do it because that's what you're supposed to do, then it's not very sincere. It needs to be uh, subtle. It needs to be sincere. 
And I'll just say it probably should be a moment, right? You don't have to make like all Christmas day only about Jesus. Amber and I are not going to do that. We're gonna go to a church service on Christmas day. Then I'm gonna go hang out with my fam. We're gonna have a lot of fun. We're gonna play some games. We're gonna enjoy each other's company. You don't have to make this entire day or the entire week or the entire month of December only spiritual. It can still be social. It should still be social, but it can't be only social. It should include a spiritual component as well. Now, it doesn't have to be anything huge, okay? If this is your first stab at it, if this is your first baby step in the direction of some sort of spiritual celebration at Christmas, then you don't have to go for the home run right away. Maybe you do something like this. Maybe this year at your house, Santa gives gifts like he always does. Mom and dad give gifts like they always do. But maybe the best present under the tree comes from Jesus this year. And your kids start to learn that God is the one who gives us every good and perfect gift, the way the book of James tells us. Maybe that's one way you could do it. You don't have to, but maybe that's one way. Perhaps you might jump on online. And this Christmas day, you might post a very simple, short social media update in which you say something about how this holiday is much more meaningful when it has a spiritual component as well as a social component. Now, don't say it like that. People are gonna think it's weird and some pastor gave it to you to say. Don't don't say it like that. Find something better, write something better, but include something that says, hey, you know what I discovered this Christmas? It's a lot better when you celebrate it as the birth of Jesus, something spiritual behind it. That might be something you do. Maybe at your, at your family celebrations, at your dinner together, you do offer a short and sincere prayer for God's blessings over your family. That might be a huge step for some of you guys, but it, it's a, a great way to say, hey, I'm believing that God is actually the, the reason, the meaning behind this holiday. And I wanna honor him in what we are doing here. Maybe you uh, decide to go to a Christmas service somewhere. I would highly encourage you to do that. Find a church that's doing a Christmas Eve service or a Christmas Day service and go. Invite somebody in your life. Say, hey, it's Christmas. I wanna go to church. I wanna experience something more meaningful this holiday. Would you like to come with me? It doesn't matter if they say no, that's okay. The point is that you are willing to ask. And I promise you, people will be often willing to say yes at this time of the year. Now, that brings me to something really important, okay? We are not having services here at Connect next weekend. We couldn't get the theater because of their holiday movie schedule. So there will be no services on Christmas weekend here, the 24th and the 25th. But we're doing a couple of different things. Uh, Number one, I will encourage you, go find another church to be a part of that is having a Christmas Eve or a Christmas Day service. Don't feel bad. You're not cheating on Connect. It's okay. I'm not gonna call you and say, hey, I heard you went to another church. That's okay. I want you to go. We are on the same team. I want you to go and celebrate with other people the birth of the Messiah. Now, I'll encourage you, don't just show up at some random church, especially if you're bringing guests. Instead, get some good recommendations on some churches that will do Christmas Eve and Christmas well, that you could bring somebody who's just uh, dipping their toe in the pool of faith. Find out some good churches 
and then bring them to those. I'll give you a couple of quick uh, recommendations. Here on the north side of town, go to Center Street Church. Nobody does Christmas Eve like they do. It's huge. It's an amazing production. I would highly encourage you to go there if you're in that part of the city. If you're going to be in the south side of the city and uh, you've got family down that way, that's where your celebrations are taking place. We have a sister church called Experience Church. They're going to have Christmas Eve services. You can look them up online. Go check them out. They'll do a fantastic job. You'll have a very meaningful experience. Go to church somewhere next week. We want you to be a part of some family, some fellowship where you are surrounded by other people who are also celebrating the spiritual meaning of this holiday. But we do have something for you guys. It's not like we're just going dark for a whole week and then we're coming back New Year's Day. We put together a video called Christmas with Connect. It is on demand online. What that means is we're going to post it Friday at 11 o'clock on Facebook and on our website. And throughout your weekend, you can watch it at your leisure. Whenever you find 10 or 11 minutes in your day, you can watch it individually. You can watch it with your family. We would love it if you'd share it. We can spread some of the message around. It's got some uh, music, some new music that you've never heard from our worship team. It's got a six minute message from me uh, continuing the idea of finding peace at Christmas. And so that's going to be available for you. Christmas with Connect. It's on our website and on Facebook. So those are some steps Those are some things that you might do if you want to incorporate a spiritual component to your Christmas celebrations this year. And I strongly think you should. If you want to recapture Christmas, you can't keep approaching Christmas the same way that you have for the last 10, 15, 25 years. You have to change something if you want Christmas to change. And I'm telling you guys, the idea that God invaded our world as a baby is so ridiculous. It's so crazy that it deserves to be told and heard. The idea that God would come to earth so that he could reveal himself to us and identify himself with us is such good news that if we can tell it well, the world around us will celebrate just like we do.